Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. In Mark chapter one, Mark introduces us to the character of Jesus. And Mark, like the other three gospel writers, wants you to see something about Jesus in this baptism scene. It's much deeper than Jesus just getting wet. Jesus is identifying and being identified as something much, much more. We started last week and uh, we looked at the way Mark positions, as he calls it, the beginning of the gospel. And for Mark, the beginning of the gospel is John the Baptist. And he's saying that if you're going to understand Jesus, you got to understand John. And so he shows us what John is all about. He's a lone voice crying in the wilderness and preparing the way for the Lord. And so he's the guy that's out there in the wilderness saying, hey, all you chaos wilderness dwellers. Jewish mindset about wilderness is that wilderness is chaos. And he's saying, all you people who live in chaos, somebody's coming and he's gonna bring order to everything. He's gonna restore your wilderness chaos back to garden where you'll be able to have a relationship with him. And so he's calling out and preparing the way for the Lord. Lord for us. And so we kind of took that apart a little bit last week. And today we're going to go on and move forward in Mark. I got to say this real quick. Last week, uh, I told you guys about notebooks. I really love the notebooks. I feel like it helps uh, be able to have notes. And um, when we're done with this Mark study, if you stay with us through it and you take notes and you keep them in your notebook, you will effectively have your own compiled commentary on the book of Mark. It's great. So I really encourage you to get a notebook. We were out of them by this time already last week, but we got more. And they're available right outside here in the Dot Life Connection area as soon as the church service is over. So you can go out there and get some of those. Leave a few for the last service because uh, they're going to want some in there also. So I really encourage you to get those, take notes, and be in on this study of Jesus in Mark. So Last week, we left off at verse 8 of Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick right up where we left off in Mark 1, verse 9. John the Baptist has proclaimed the way, cleared the way for the Lord. And then verse 9 introduces us to Jesus. Mark says, in those days, that's the days of Mark's ministry, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So here we are. Now Mark introduces us to the person of Jesus. And so I want to take a moment right here, and I just want to, I want to start a little segment of the sermon that I'm probably going to do from time to time in this study, and the segment is called, Where's Jesus? And so I want to put Jesus on a map for us so we can see where Jesus is in his ministry because... Mark has an ingenious way of showing us what Jesus is doing in his activity. And you see, I told you about the movement last week and how he's always moving. You see all this movement until this great apex that Mark has. And once the apex happened, his method of where he goes changes completely. And you'll see it very differently. So I want you to see geographically where's Jesus in all this. So we'll start by looking at a map of the Holy Land. 
We got to be there last June, and we're going to go there again this June. I can't wait. Uh, so this is a map of really kind of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Israel is right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. Egypt is right down here below. The Nile River comes out right down here. Uh, so Egypt is down here in the south. Lebanon is up to the north. Right now, the nation of Jordan is from about right through here, the Jordan River on across. nation of Jordan just recently uh, uh, implemented a peace treaty with Israel, praise the Lord. So uh, this is kind of the region you see, Jerusalem, the capital city of um, Israel, and you got the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea there. And so normally when we think of Jesus, we associate him with Jerusalem, the capital city. But if you understand uh, the Gospels, most of Jesus' ministry was not in Jerusalem. Most of his time he spent up here in this region near the Sea of Galilee. So we'll kind of zoom in there, and we see that here in Mark 1, 9, Jesus came from his hometown, Nazareth, into this town called Bethany. Now, there's two Bethanies in the New Testament, two Bethanies, one down on the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem, down in the southern part of the country. That's where Lazarus lived. And then there's the other one called Bethany beyond Jordan. And we're not sure exactly where that was. We think it could have been here, think it could have been here, think it could have been here. So I just put the red dot right there. Is that okay? Um, we believe that that's probably the most likely thing, but no one really knows exactly where it is. We just know that Jesus traveled from Nazareth to where John was doing his ministry, Bethany beyond Jordan, about 18 miles. So Jesus, at the beginning of this story, I told you that Mark's always got things moving. Jesus is introduced as traveling from Nazareth to Bethany, 18 miles on foot to get where John was, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. So I had some people ask me just this week, what, what's the story on baptism? What really is baptism? I want to talk about just the, the, the method of baptism. And I had people asking me, I was sprinkled as a baby. Is that okay? Uh, or I was sprinkled as an adult in another church. Is that good? You know, what, what about doing baptism in different ways? Uh, and why do different Christians do it differently? And my answer to that is, I don't know why Christians do it differently, some than others. I don't understand because I, I say it's in the word. It's in the word, literally the word baptism. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which literally means to plunge or to immerse. It means to put under. That's literally what the word means. So I don't think there was any question in Jesus' day what baptism was. Um, I think it's pretty clear he was baptized, he was plunged, he was immersed in the water. He went under and he came back up. So baptism is a beautiful symbol of something, right? I mean, it's a symbol of something that is going on in your life. When you're baptized, you are baptized because of something, not for something, do you know what I mean? You're not baptized for something. I, I watched a baptism video of a bunch of people being baptized at a North Georgia church. And I listened to why they were being baptized because they get them up in the, in the pool and they're like, why are you being baptized today? And they state why they're being baptized. And person after person after person articulated, I want to get baptized for this. I want to get baptized for that. And they were saying things like, I want God to bless me financially. 
I want to receive blessings from God. One guy said, I want to get baptized because I need a gold tooth. I'm not kidding. So they're saying in this church, they're saying, I want to be baptized to get something. As if God is a genie and the baptismal pool is the lamp you're supposed to rub. And he'll just grant your wishes if you just do what he wants. And that's not at all what what baptism is. Baptism doesn't happen so you'll get what you want. Baptism happens because he's gotten what he wants. Baptism happens because you have given yourself to Christ. And you said, I don't belong to myself anymore. I now am yours. And so I want to show everybody what that means by being baptized. It's a symbol of what's going on inside of you. Does that make sense? So baptism is, is pretty simple. Matthew, gospel writer Matthew, tells us that John baptized after people confessed their sins. In other words, they confessed, I'm wrong, God. You're right. I'm not going to live my way. I'll live your way. And they turned their lives over. And so John baptized them. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture, isn't it? I mean, I was filthy with sin, I mean, I was dirty, filthy, nasty with it, but I've been cleansed by him, completely cleansed. I went under that water, and I come up clean, right? That's who I am now. I was, I was a slave to sin, but then I went under the water, and I came up, and now I am free, I'm no longer a slave to all that stuff. He has washed me. He has declared me clean, I'm no longer what I was. I'm becoming something new. I was dead, and I'm being raised to new life. Baptism is a beautiful picture of all this. In other words, this is the first blank on your page if you're taking notes. Baptism is identifying with something more. Baptism is saying, I'm not just me. I'm identifying with something more. It's saying, I belong to something more. I belong to something bigger. It's saying that I'm not who I was. I am somebody different. It's kind of like, like showing your passport, saying, look, see, here's my passport. I'm just visiting this world's chaos. I belong to the garden. Hello? So if that's true, then why in the world does Jesus need to get baptized? I mean, if baptism is a symbol of being cleansed from sin, we know Jesus had no sin. So why does Jesus need to get baptized? Well, if you're asking that question in your head, don't worry, you're not the only one. John the Baptist asked this question himself. Look at how Matthew tells us about it in Matthew 3. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. Hey, Jesus, this isn't for you. Can you imagine, can you imagine somebody coming to me and saying, I don't think I'd like to get baptized. Oh, I don't think you really should. It's not really for you. Can you imagine me doing that? But here's John, the Baptist, trying to talk Jesus out of it. And here's what he says. He says, look, I'm the one that needs to be baptized not you. I should be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? John clearly recognized, I am a sinner, and you are holy. Who am I to baptize you? Why in the world do you need to be baptized? Huh? 
So Jesus answers the question, and his answer is pretty interesting. And scholars debate what he's really saying here. They kind of go back and forth on this, but I think his meaning is pretty clear. Jesus says in response, he says, it should be done. It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, this is important to God, so it's important to me. He's saying, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Baptism is important to my Father, so I will be baptized. Next blank on your page is this. Jesus' priority is to identify with his Father. He is going to obey God. He's not going to be one single step away from his alignment with his Father. No gap between him and his Father. He wants to be one with God no matter what. So for Jesus, step one is to be baptized. It's the first thing Jesus does before starting his ministry. Who wrote this gospel? The gospel according to Mark. But remember last week we talked about how Mark really just transcribed it, and it's not Mark's story. Whose story is it? Peter's story. Peter's the one really telling this story. And Peter is telling us that Jesus was baptized first. Number one, step one, baptism. Then you obey God, do what he wants you to do. Peter is also the guy who, in Acts chapter 2, preached that great sermon on the day of Pentecost. And all the people heard the gospel for the first time. And their response at the end of the sermon was, well, what should we do? And Peter's the one. Peter's the one that said, you must repent and what? Be baptized. Repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll have a relationship with God. That's what he says. Baptism is the way you identify with God. Once you repent, step one as a believer is to be baptized. I know I know. in church today, we think that a public profession of faith is when you come to the front of an aisle and somebody puts a microphone in your face and you, you know, introduce yourself or whatever and you say, I'm a follower of Christ. And that's great. I love that. But biblically... A person's profession of faith is when they are baptized and raised up out of those waters. Biblically, that's our profession of faith. It is step one for us. So why? Why why do I know so many Christians, so many followers of Christ who have never obeyed with step one? They say, I follow Jesus, but they haven't taken the first step yet. Some of them have been saved for years, some decades, but they won't obey in this one simple way. It's important to our Father, and it is important to Jesus. Why is it that so many Christians will not do this? I think it's it's what... James, the brother of Jesus, was talking about when he described the double-minded man. That's somebody who says one thing but walks in a different direction. It's somebody who, in James's words, should never expect to receive anything from God because he's double-minded and he is unstable in all his ways. 
Yeah, I, why, why would you expect, I mean, think about it. Why would you expect God to lead you in your life to show you what path to walk on if you haven't even started on the path? Hello? Am I the only one? Boy, the 830 service was a lot more helpful to me. <laughs> so here's my challenge. If you're a believer, get baptized. Get baptized. It's simple, and it was important enough to Jesus to obey his Father. It ought to be important enough for us as we follow him. Get baptized. I got good news for you. Next Sunday morning, we're going to baptize in all three services. All three services, we're going to be baptizing right, right here. I'm excited about that. And the way you get to the baptistry pool, the, the prerequisite for that here at the Orchard Church is you go through our New Life class. It's a 90-minute class, and we're doing it today right after the third service. It'll be right here in this room, and we will go over all kinds of stuff about how to live the new life, how to walk in his presence and in his power. We're going to give you some real practical things, real handles on how to do that. You know, we're not just going to talk lofty ideas and theory. We're going to give you real handles on how to do that in the new life class today. Uh, and there's lunch. So listen. If you have signed up, or sorry, if you haven't, if you haven't signed up, but right now, right now, Holy Spirit's saying you haven't done this yet, you should be doing this, and right now you're thinking, I might just need to go to that new life class. Listen, if that's you today, I will give you my sandwich for lunch. I will give you my sandwich. You can eat my sandwich. Just come to the new life class. I just want you to be obedient and to be baptized. Can I get an amen on that? So be baptized. Come to the New Life class this afternoon. Just come. Just come. No big deal. Just come. It's right after the next service. Let's look at what John does. I, I, you know, I want to move from Mark just a little bit and look at gospel writer John. As he tells the story, he talks about John the Baptist, John the gospel writer, John the Baptist, two different people. And John writes this about John the Baptist. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. He's just left Nazareth and he's coming in to Bethany. And here's what John says. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who's far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Yeah, John's saying, look, look at him. Look, there he is. I've been telling you about him. I've been talking about him. I've been preaching about him. This is the guy. This is the guy. He's the one. He's the one. Look at him. He's the one. Boy, John is excited and eager to point out Jesus because of who Jesus is in his life and what he's going to do for us. Are we really good at pointing out Jesus? Do you recognize Jesus at work in your life? Can you see his supernatural signature in your life from day to day? Are you good at pointing him out? Look, that's just God at work right there, man. Praise the Lord. I told you. I told you about him. There he is right there. Look, did you see what happened? That's him. I told you. Is that you in your life? We're talking, about, we're talking about evangelism this year and winning people to Christ. And our job really ought to be about like John the Baptist. Look, there he is. And pointing him out. 
Are we good at that? I, I think, I think we get so caught up in the everyday chaos that we forget to count our blessings and name them one by one. I think we forget to stop and say, there he is, there he is right there. I, I know I talk to people all the time, Christian people all the time who are caught up in the chaos and they're down and discouraged and they can't see him anymore because this fell apart and then that happened and then these people hurt me and then, and then I went through this and, and they're listing out all their stuff. But if you listen, if you listen to the story, there's hidden bright spots. And if you listen real closely, you'll discover a bright spot here and a bright spot there. You'll discover a way that Jesus is at work even in the most discouraged person's life. And it's so fun when they're talking to interrupt you. Hold on, that sounds like Jesus right there. Uh, did you hear what you just said? You just gave glory to God and you didn't even realize it. And I've watched the look on people's face. It kind of knocks him a little bit off guard because we get so caught up in the chaos, we forget to point to Jesus in the midst of it. I think we're not great at pointing him out. Do you have blessings in your life that he's given you? Do you have ways that you see him at work? I mean, good grief, in the first service this morning, I'm over here, I'm right over here, and I'm just singing my guts out and just worshiping and praising, and God's bringing to my mind the way he has been so unbelievably, supernaturally good to me. Have you seen my four grandkids? Good grief, I've got the most beautiful grandkids in the world, don't you? I mean, I've got amazing, amazing, wonderful. I've got two children, adult children, who are both married to godly, Jesus-loving spouses that are awesome. Oh man, I'm so blessed to have that. I've got a wife that loves me and has been married to me. We've been together since 1985 and she stuck with me that long. I am that blessed. Come on, I'm so blessed. I got cars to drive. I got a house to live in. I mean, I'm blessed every single day and I'm over here, I'm right over here and I'm thanking God for these things. I'm just amazed by it. And then we have to go and sing that song. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. And I'm like, it starts right there. Just the fact that you let me. That is a blessing from God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Count your blessings and name them one by one. Get your eyes off the chaos of this world and focus in on him. I guarantee you'll start to see him more. I guarantee you'll start to hear his voice. I guarantee you'll start to experience his presence and his power in your life when you start finding the bright spots and pointing him out. That's what John the Baptist does. He identifies Jesus, he's the one. And he's not just saying he's the one, he's special. He's saying this is the one, the Lamb of God that takes away all the sin of the world. There's something uniquely special about Jesus, that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He identifies Jesus as being something else, and he's not the only one. Look what happens in Mark 1, verse 10. 
when Jesus came up out of the water, he was baptized, and he's coming up out of the water. Duh, it's right there. He's coming up out of the water, and immediately, there's that word immediately. Mark loves the word immediately. It's in the book 47 times. Mark is always moving you forward. So immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open, being torn open. There's a prophecy about the heavens being rended, being torn apart when heaven and earth begin to overlap, when the spiritual realm and the physical realm begin to touch. There's this ripping of the sky, and he sees this, and the Spirit is descending on him like a dove. It's like a dove. It is not actually a dove. I know that we like the imagery of the dove, and it's good, and that's the biblical language here, but it's not actually a bird that comes and lands on his shoulder. But when the gospel writers talk about it, this is the way they describe it. We saw the Holy Spirit. You could see the Holy Spirit, and the best way we could describe it is he looked like a dove a symbol of peace, a symbol of the garden. And he lit on Jesus like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I wonder what the voice of God sounds like. I wonder how everybody reacted when they heard the voice of God. Did the earth shake just a little bit? Were they scared? I mean, I know when a helicopter flies over real low, you know, it comes right and you can just kind of feel it, thump, 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 thump. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, what's going on, you know? I wonder if that's what happened. I wonder if everybody was like, what just happened? Because God's voice speaks. I am your father. <laughs> not it, that's not it. That's not it, not in the Bible, Okay. <laughs> He says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All four gospel writers tell us about this event, this moment when the heavens are torn open, the Holy Spirit descends, the physical world, the spiritual world begin to overlap for just a moment in the person of Jesus Christ very clearly here. And the other two members of the Trinity identify Jesus. The gospel writers want you to see this clearly because the Holy Spirit descends in a visible way and it hearkens to a messianic passage from Isaiah 61. Look at what the prophet says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You see that? It starts off with the spirit of the sovereign Lord upon me. The Lord has anointed me. The gospel writers want you to see the baptism of Jesus as his anointing ceremony. This is the moment where it's not just oil that's rubbed on his head or poured over him. It's not oil This is a Holy Spirit anointing that happens to Jesus, anointing him to do his ministry. And the Father speaks to this. And and when God speaks, he's actually kind of merging two other prophecies together. When he says this from Psalm 2-7, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. 
And in Isaiah 42, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. What this all means is next blank on your page. Jesus is unquestionably identified as Christ at his baptism. He's identified as Christ. I want to be clear. Christ isn't a name. It's a title. All right, his last name isn't Christ. It's his title, Christ. Christ is, uh, Christos is the Greek word that just means anointed one. He is the anointed one. We just saw his anointing ceremony, and he is the anointed one. Christos is the Greek translation from the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. He's the chosen deliverer of God's people. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says that God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Yeah, God made Jesus. He made Jesus this sinless, perfect human. God in the flesh who was totally in line with his father, even in baptism, He had no sin of his own whatsoever, but God made this sinless man become sin on our behalf. The way he does that is he first leaves his throne in heaven and he comes here to walk in our shoes, to walk in the dust and the dirt, to know pain, to know sorrow, to know hunger, to know exhaustion, He comes here and he touches all the sick people. He embraces all the outsiders. He loves the unlovable and he teaches us about the kingdom. And he goes to the cross where he takes all our sin, all the crimes that you and I ever commit against God, everything we've ever done against him, everything was put on to Jesus on the cross and he took the punishment for my crimes against God, my high crimes. They don't seem high to me. They seem insignificant to me. They seem like little things, failures, mistakes, problems. Uh-uh. They're high treasonous crimes against God, but Jesus paid for them with his blood shed on the cross and he went to the grave cold, no heartbeat, no brain activity. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And today, he lives in you and in me. And he's making us new. He's turning us into something that we aren't anymore. Jesus Christ doesn't just come here and tell us what we should do. But the next blank on your page, Christ actually identifies with us. He identifies with us. He actually takes on our characteristics, even going so far as to take on our sin and to pay for it on the cross on our behalf. So we're free. You know, I I talk about sin and I I say that we all have it and I say that it seems insignificant to us. Um, You know, I I break God's law. I'm just going to confess to you. I do it all the time. I did it this morning. You know, God says you obey the laws of the land. If you don't obey the laws of the land, you're disobeying me. So I break God's law every time I put my hands on the steering wheel. I heard an amen back there. 
<laughs> Woohoo, sin, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for identifying with me. I appreciate it. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm guilty every time. I mean, it's only, listen to me, it's only like a seven or eight minute drive from, from this front door to my front door. And I commit treason enough to be punished for my sin. You know, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm just gonna go ahead and confess one more time. She's right back there. I don't hold a candle to that woman back there in the back row, my wife. So I'm just telling you, if you wanna know a sinner, <laughs> let me just tell you, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, this morning, this morning, we had to be here early, and I got to stay longer than she does. And so we drove two separate cars. So, you know, I got up and got ready, and I'm just doing some stuff, I don't know, in the kitchen. And it's time to go, you know, hair dried and everything. Okay, good. So let's go. So we're walking out to the cars. And I'm like, uh, I know how I drive, but I know how you drive. You might want to go first, or you'll be ticked off at me, because I'm just going to slow you down. And so she's like, all right. And she gets in her car, and I get in my truck. And she pulls out of the driveway, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep up with her today. And we live in Kusawati, so it's all this, you know, all this. And so, <laughs> so I'm just telling you, I watch those taillights go down the hill and around the curve, and I start after her. And I'm just trying to catch up. I'm just trying to catch up. I feel like Maverick, you know, pulling G's. <laughs> flying around and just trying to trying to stay in the air I'm watching deer fly past me <laughs> and I'm just trying to keep up with her and I can't I just can't and finally I get to the gate and she's crawling <laughs> down the road you know and, and I pull out and then we have to do the U-turn on 515 you know if you come from 382 you gotta do the U-turn we get to the U-turn it's dark outside but she got, I'm almost to catch up with her and she's going around that U-turn to head north and what I see as she's going past me is she's got one hand on the steering wheel visor down, light on and she's applying makeup <laughs> as she's doing a U-turn at 80 miles an hour I got, I got here this morning she's already singing on the stage and I'm like hold on I need a minute <laughs> Ladies, can you relate to that? Okay, husbands, can you relate to that? Okay, I got one. Hey, babe, it's only me and one other guy. Praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is, I love my wife, and I hope she lets me sleep in the bed tonight. <laughs> and I don't know anybody. I just don't know anybody um, in my life better than I know her. And you know what? She loves Jesus. But all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. And he paid the price for all of it, even the ones we totally take for granted day after day. He did that for us. He knew we would disobey him flagrantly and repeatedly, yet he still went to the cross on my behalf. He still died in my place because he identifies with us. He went to the cross for my sins. The least I can do is get wet for a minute for him. Amen? Get baptized. Follow him. Obey him. Last blank on your page. Have I identified with him?